You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. It was an old tree, a beautiful tree. In 1973, when my parents decided to buy the house in front of it, my dad joked that the large tree smack dab in the middle of the yard was what sealed the deal. If that tree ever needs to come down, he said, we're moving. It was a bold statement that never came to fruition while he was alive, at least. Fourteen years later, my mom remarried a few years after my father's unexpected death. She was struggling with the decision to move to a new town and rip her kids out of the only school system we had ever known. And then the notice came in the mail. The city had tested that beautiful grand tree in our backyard and diagnosed it with Dutch elm disease. It had to come down. Unbelievably, it became the sign my mother needed. We left a few months later. Her decision to move was based on divine intervention and otherworldly forces. My guests today say there's probably a more straightforward method to making this difficult decision. Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix are the dynamic duo behind the How to Money podcast. In the midst of building lives and families in the metro Atlanta area, these two best friends recently decided to move to a new neighborhood together. In a recent episode, they run through the thought process behind making this decision to uproot. Matt and Joel, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Matt, let's start with you. How important is where you live to your quality of life? Oh, I think it's incredibly important, Jordan. Well, first first of all, I want to mention how like in the intro, you're talking about how maybe there's a more straightforward way of <laughs> deciding whether or not we should move. And honestly, I think something like a tree coming down, even though it feels supernatural, you know, credit the Beatles and whatever other disease the tree had. But like, there are things like that, that just happen that you do not expect that can sort of be the, the a door might be open and it can kind of be the, the final push through the door that causes you to, to, to make a, to take a step like that. But, but you're asking about, uh, let's say quality of life. I mean, it depends, right? I think it, it could depend on a lot of things. It depends what stage of life you're in. So I imagine somebody who's a young professional straight out of college, they are throwing themselves, say, into work, right? They may not have much of a life outside of the the nine to five or, you know, nine to nine, six days a week. It just depends on what they've got going on. And as opposed to maybe if you're kind of settling down, you've gotten married, maybe you've got kids, location can be something that that you weigh a little bit more than maybe you used to. And so we all make different decisions on where we choose to live based on the different things that we want to take advantage of. But what I think what Joel and I both found, and luckily we we shared some some common things that we valued here, but we found that changing over time and that's allowed both of our families to make a move simultaneously. Joel, be more specific here. Why was this the time for you both to move in a sense? Like what made it right? Yeah. So Matt mentioned the catalyst, right? Some sort of catalyst, supernatural catalyst, sometimes <laughs> indicating, that, <laughs> but pushing you towards something that you didn't necessarily envision maybe even just a few months prior. And I think the the pandemic for a lot of people changed a lot of what they wanted out of life. It changed it the way that we viewed where we lived. It changed the way that we viewed our work. I mean, for a lot of people, 
you know, the great resignation was a real thing, right? People quitting their jobs and going to work for themselves or taking a break or pursuing just a, a different path. People, Boise, Idaho became the hot spot for people to move to, right? It's like, well, yeah, I'm, let me go there instead of where I am currently. That sounds like the place to be. And so, yeah, for us, the the pandemic certainly had an impact. And I think while we might have made this decision at some point in the future, it brought it to a point where it was like, maybe now is the time, actually. And it kind of truncated the timetable for a move. So so yeah, part of it, it really was this kind of this thing where all, it shifted how we viewed our neighborhood, where the things we wanted out of life and the things we wanted for our families. The pandemic really was, I think that a lot of the things, the reasons we moved would have been true, but it just brought them to light so much more quickly than than probably it would have otherwise. Man, I was interested in the episode, How to Money, where you talk about moving. You surprisingly mentioned this idea of renting. And I'm interested in that rent versus buying, especially when you're looking at a move. How do you make that decision? And are there some circumstances in which maybe at least renting for a short period makes sense? We are big fans of renting. I mean, I, th I think a lot of folks are always looking to not waste money by throwing away rent. But the ability to rent somewhere for, I mean like a year, but even, I mean, potentially even less than a year, the ability to figure out where it is that you want to put down roots, the ability to determine, is this a place that I'm going to be for at least five, if not seven years? I mean, these, this is the kind of flexibility that, that renting gives you. And so, yeah, a lot of times you'll hear folks who, who are realizing how much they're putting towards rent every single year. They're, they're thinking, man, I am, this money is going down the drain. Instead, I could be putting that money towards equity within a home. But what you <laughs> there's all these additional costs that that go along with purchasing a home. But the uh, just aside from all of that though, the flexibility that you gain by being able to determine, oh, what do we need from life? What or what do we need from a property, from a home, from an apartment while we are in the stage of life? That is not something that I think folks should should take lightly. Yeah, and we we moved just 20 minutes up the road back to kind of actually not too far from where I grew up. And so there was a lot of familiarity with with this place for us. And we had friends close by and stuff like that. And so so for us buying, it, you know, and and putting down roots, we we were okay with. But I think for a lot of people when you're coming down in in that buy versus rent conundrum, in particular, if you're moving to a completely new place, a, a new state, a, oh, a yeah. brand new city, that's when renting makes a, a ton of sense. Because if you buy in the wrong place, the transaction costs of real estate are so high. If you buy even just five neighbor neighborhoods over from where you actually want to be, because you're not familiar enough with that place to know. Um, and sometimes in, in in certain neighborhoods, it's it's down to like street level, right? It's like, you know what, if I'm if I was three streets block over by block, yeah, it's like I'd mm -hmm. be closer to my favorite. It, it would change my lifestyle in a in a positive way. And so for for most people, when you're moving to a new place that's a little more unfamiliar, renting is a no brainer. And we recommend it highly. <laughs> you you yeah. should definitely rent for a while before you buy so that when you do buy, you're buying the right place for you and not just kind of doing it because it's the best, smartest money decision, which is not necessarily the case either. Joel, in a moment, we're going to talk about some of the monetary factors, lifestyle issues, and practical considerations when it comes to moving. But before we do, you mentioned the fact that you both moved, oh, about 20 minutes away from where you previously lived. 20 minutes doesn't sound a lot like a lot, but it's still a new neighborhood. Tell me, and I'm going to ask Matt the same question. What do you think you'll miss most about the old neighborhood? Hmm. It's definitely relationships, for sure. There's a lot I'm going to miss about that neighborhood. And it was a really hard decision because we had been there for 13 years. And Matt and I, we value community so highly. That, that is one of like, if you were to ask us, like one of the few things that's most important to us, community, deep friendships, relationships are like at the top yeah. of the heap. And so when when you're talking about like uprooting your family and taking them from taking us all away from relationships that were near and dear to us, a community that we felt like we had like an ownership stake in to remove ourselves. It was it was not a decision we took we took lightly because that community <laughs> was just such an important integral part of who we are as humans. So yeah, I think community is is the thing I would say. And that's what we're hoping to find up here, right? Is more community and, and we're already kind of like seeping into it quickly. But that that's the toughest part is I'm gonna miss the people like cool restaurants and stuff like that. I'm missing that a little bit, right? It feels like where we're at. Like there's the culinary uh, choices <laughs> up here are not quite as spectacular yeah, as like yeah. inner city 
city Atlanta, but that's something that like I can drive into town and get some of that stuff or, you know, and I miss it, but I, I miss the people that we were like super close to that we did life with more than anything. And, and we'll stay in touch, but it's not the same when you don't live right down the street from that person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not the same. And I, I won't talk too long about the relationships, but these, like, like Joel said, so if, it's ridiculous, but Joel bought his first home in 2009, as did Kate and I, within the same neighborhood that we just moved from. And so truly, we were 13 years planted, and we had a lot of the same you know, good friends. And th- these are folks who we-, we could just walk over to their house that we did life with. So I will most definitely say that that's the top thing that we're missing right now, while simultaneously making new friendships, putting down new roots. But the architecture, at least for me, the, <laughs> yeah. we're in a, a, a kind of a, a neighborhood that was developed in the late 70s. So all of these homes folk were occupied beginning of the early 80s. And it sounds maybe a little superficial, but man, I sure do miss seeing the 100 plus, like I miss my 100 plus year old home and just the quirks and the beauty of it. And there are certainly some historic homes around here. But where Joel and I were in particular before, we were only half a mile away from each other. Now we're, we're more like about one mile. But there was, it was nothing about 100-year-old homes between, between our houses. And that was just a lot of fun. Also, 100-year-old trees, right? So you've got these tree-lined streets and everything's been around for 100 years. And it just feels incredibly established. And there's something about that. I was actually down there this past weekend. And just driving through, it's like, man, you know, I definitely... We did not make a mistake in our move, but if we could snap our fingers and bring all of this up to where we are, I would totally uh, totally do that. But then also, like Joel, Joel's talking about the food, we've hit up a couple of local breweries and there's a lot to be desired there as well. <laughs> the, uh, the craft, As you know, Jordan, craft beer is a big part of our show and it's a part of our lives as well. And the, uh, the craft beer isn't quite, doesn't quite do it. I think I realized how good we had it in town Atlanta, because there's some great breweries in town for sure. Yeah, that's the problem, you know. So you can drive 20 minutes to go to your favorite tap room, et cetera, but you might not want to drive back. So you're going to be hitting <laughs> right. up Uber and Lyft quite a bit or, or calling, exactly. the, calling the wives to come pick you up yep. with all the kids in the minivan. I'm not sure <laughs> right. how cool that is. Yeah, yep. That's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, I, I want to start thinking a little more practically here. So we've kind of danced around this idea to moving a new neighborhood, but obviously there's some real practical considerations. Let's consider some of the money considerations specifically. What kind of numbers do you start looking at when you're deciding where to move your new home to? Yeah, so the it's it's tough. It would, part of it depends on whether you're buying or renting, right? And and so if if you're if you're renting in one place and you're renting in another and your lease is up, we got to think about moving costs, right? Moving costs are one of those things that you really you know. And, and this was the first time we had moved somewhere where we hired like legit movers. In the past, I've hired, I've rented a U-Haul. And and back in the day when you're in your early 20s, <laughs> it's like friends and beer and pizza, right? Yes. But when you're in your... Keeps l- coming back to beer. <laughs> yeah. <always> beer. And, <laughs> and when, it's, when you're in your late 30s, your friends are like, I'm busy. I've got other stuff going on. And you'd be actually just kind of like a jerk to even ask the question, right? So, so at some point when we've moved just within the neighborhood, we have, you know, got our own U-Haul truck and we've hired people for like an hourly rates who helped us move. And this is the first time we've had like a an all-in moving service help us move because the move was substantial enough. And so that's that's something you need to think through as well. Um, we talked about in the show actually how to find a good mover. And that that's actually more fraught with peril than you would think. But that's also a cost that you have to consider. So mo- moving is is not is not cheap. And depending on how far away you're moving, that's something you have to consider. If you're buying, obviously you have to think about down payment, you have to think about selling a house. I mean, there there are all these things involved in that decision. There's there's just like yeah, there's obviously a lot of financial considerations. Are you moving to a location that, that it's a cheaper cost of living? So let's say you're moving out of California and you're moving, you know, into Alabama. You're like, oh my gosh, I just became a rich person. <laughs> like I I now feel like a king or queen. But let's say you're not making some sort of. Let's say you're doing the opposite. It takes even more stringent look at, an even more stringent look at your budget to make sure that this is something you're actually going to be able to afford. Because if you're used to an eleven hundred dollar mortgage and you're moving someplace where the rents are twenty five hundred dollars a month on average, or to buy a house, you know you got to have you're looking at a million dollar house to get something comparable. It it changes the equation in a big way. 
Yeah, Matt, people sometimes forget when we start thinking about moving out of where we are, let's say you live in a really urban area and you're thinking about going suburban or even rural, the cost of living is just completely different depending on how dense the population is. It's true. Yeah, depending on where you're going. I mean, you can see drastic differences if you're looking at a small town out in the middle of nowhere versus a more urban environment. But I mean, again, luckily for us, we were only moving about 20 minutes away. And so personally, I think we've we are seeing us just a little bit of a reprieve when it comes to the cost of living, when it comes to taxes and just the the cost of daycare, actually. That's one of the ones that stood out yeah. to us when we yeah. moved up here. We're like, holy crap, we're paying like a third of what we were paying for in town for, for the same amount of days. And so di- different, different things like that are certainly factors you want to consider. But I mean, I, I guess I kind of want to take a step back as well, because I think like we all tend to like we're talking about some of the financial considerations and obviously like your job, right? Is if, if work is calling you to a specific location and that is a, a job that's going to compensate you handsomely, then that's that's something you've got to consider. You got to keep that in mind. It's important to take into the net effect, I guess, on your finances when you're considering a move like that. So obviously there's there's different aspects like that, cost of living, taxes. As far as taking a step back, I think we all tend to think about different decisions like this one way or the other. We, we either tend to prioritize the numbers. I think a lot of folks who listen to your show, you've got a great show, Jordan. You talk to a lot of smart, a lot of smart folks. And so I could imagine a lot of folks listening to your show are very into the numbers. They are, they're money nerds. They are crunching the numbers in a way to make sure that they're optimizing their life, that they're able to move somewhere where they can house hack, where that they're moving somewhere that's got the lowest cost of living, where they are still able to maintain, maintain their their city, big city job, but they're paying nothing on their mortgage, that kind of thing. But for those folks, I think what's really important to consider are the things that you are giving up by making that move, right? And so when we overemphasize the numbers, when we, when we are only looking at how this is going to impact our net worth, that's when I think it's just, it's so important to be self-aware as to how we naturally think about things. And so for folks who might be more numbers focused, well, how will this impact your community? Because friendships it, I mean, they're they're important. Community, the, the the relationship, the relationships we build. We're at a stage in life where it's not as easy to make friends, right? But when you are a, a professional, it's in particular for men who are, are middle aged and older, it's really difficult to make make a, other dude friends. And this is something I was talking with another friend of ours recently that that knows both Joel and I, and he was just like, you know what, like what you and Joel have is like that kind of friendship. It's not a dime a dozen. And I think that's something that I've, I think we've, but we've talked about this together. Joel and I both talked about this, but it's something that I've, I've realized more and more over the years. And so thinking through, Hey, Hey, is there a way for us to do this together? Because we've got the podcast, our families, are best friends, our wives are best friends. And so we've, we, we decided that it would be, man, it would be so much better if we were able to make this move together. So basically if we know ourselves, I think we can kind of just sort of, provide a ballast, right? Because somebody else, if let's say you're not focused on the numbers and all you are thinking about is lifestyle. Well, yeah. How much is, how much extra is this going to cost you by now you have a house, you didn't have a garage before. Now you've got a three car garage. Are you going to be tempted to, you know, like we're a single car family. Are you going to be tempted to buy that second car? Are are you going to get a boat? Like (laughs) these are all the kind of things that happens when in particular, in our case, when you move out to the burbs. And so being self-aware and knowing which way you tend to view things, right? Whether you're looking through things primarily through the financial lens or whether you tend to view things primarily through the, the lifestyle, I, I think those are important things to keep in mind. Yeah, Matt, you're talking about secondary costs there, right there. That's, that's something we yeah. talk about a lot on the show because you, you buy something and then it turns out, wait a second, you just went from 1,500 square feet in town and now you're at, in 3,000 square feet you know, in the burbs and now there's more stuff to buy. There's, there's more space to fill. Mm-hmm. There's all these other things. And, and, and th- those are, those are, those are the things that are going to eat into your budget. Right. So that's important, but it, yeah. And if you're over, fo- overly focused on the numbers, you're probably going to move to Thailand. right? And, <laughs> and like, Hey, I could retire right now if I move to Thailand and never work a day, you know, for the rest of my life. And boom, financially, I'm financially independent, financial independence achieved. And and so those are the kind of things where, yeah, there's trade-offs with both. How Would you be happy now that you've moved away from your closest friends and family? And actually part of the impetus for our move, and we wanted to do it with friends, but was to be closer to my folks. And we randomly, Jordan ran into my parents at Costco the other night. 
shopping as a family and uncoordinated uh uncoordinated yeah, yeah yes yeah. and th- we were like this is exactly why we moved up here my parents were like great we'll take the kids back home and it was like just randomly spotted them there and and so being closer to my to my folks was a big part of this move too those are the kind of things where even just a uh, uh with atlanta traffic some sort of 45 50 minute thing to to see each other we're seeing each other more frequently now my mom's works five minutes away she'll stop by after work and have dinner. And those are the kind of things that, especially with young kids, for us, that's that's important. More time with the grandparents and, you know, for us to have more time with them. And so it's 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 a smorgasbord of, th- of inputs to, in order to make this decision. And of course, we're not all going to make the same decision, but you got to think about all those things because is the most money efficient place going to provide you the most life satisfaction? Maybe, but but maybe not. And so there are certainly a lot of a, a lot of factors that need to be considered money and otherwise. Matt, for completeness, the other side of that is sometimes where you live does make a huge economic difference. If you're in tech, right, you might want to live in San Francisco, which is an incredibly high cost of living area. Mm-hmm. But if you want to advance your career, Silicon Valley might be the place to be. Or maybe it's New York if you're in media or in, ent- in entertainment. So these things do also play a role. And that's why it's interesting, I think, both of your perspectives, because it really depends on where you are in life. Yeah, it depends where you are in life. It depends where you are within your career, because it, it, I mean, the career life cycle demands different things from you, right? And so if you've been in an industry, if you've been with a company for, for years and years, there's a good chance that you could go fully remote. There's a good chance that you can get by Moving out to forget Boise, you know, like <laughs> housing prices skyrocketed over there. Find the new town that's even cheaper. That's that's close to all the different things that you're looking for. You could do that, and it would make a ton of financial sense. But for the folks who are fresh out of school or who are young professionals, the ability to man show up in person to to have that small talk to experience company culture and and see what it's like and just the ability to learn things on the fly to be able to learn things whether it's relationships or clients or just industry knowledge in the break room these are the kind of things that i think folks have learned they're really missing out on with the whole ability for us to work from home over the past two two and a half years and I, I think for that reason we've seen a lot of companies calling for folks to come back in they're looking for a company that's got a culture that exists, right? It's difficult to advance a, a, a company culture when people aren't able to literally do things in person and all you have is a, a two-dimensional representation of my face on your computer screen. And and Matt and I, we, we talk about how awful commutes are. And so that's one thing you really need to factor into to where you live, yeah, right? Yeah. Because if I was still working at a, a job in Midtown Atlanta, there's no way. I would have moved up here. There's no way because I would have, it would have mean, meant that I was stuck in a car in all likelihood for 45 minutes to an hour each way <laughs> every day. And so that's, that's something you really need to be thoughtful about because that's a lot of wasted time. And the only good thing I think I can think of about commuting is you get to listen to great podcasts, which is awesome. So if you've got to commute, <laughs> that's, that's the silver lining. But for, for us and for, for me, like it was, there's no way this conversation would have even started about moving if it wasn't for the fact that we work for ourselves, we're location independent, but more and more folks are either working for themselves or able to work remotely. And so we're in this new era where people have, so much more choice about where they live. And I think it's actually, I think, I think of that in, in so many ways as, as a good thing. It's kind of making you realize, okay, wait, I'm not necessarily tethered to this job. I can go get another job or I can work remotely or I can go start my own thing. And I think, I think that the options are great, but maybe sometimes that abundance of options can, <laughs> can be overwhelming and it can be hard to make a good decision too. Matt, just for completeness, I want to mention two other economic issues before we move on. One, I'm just going to make a statement about uh, be sure to think about taxes, right? Income, property, sales. Those can be different, not just in different states, but sometimes different townships, different cities within a state can have different tax policies. That's one issue that I think people should just keep on the radar. Mm -hmm. The other is I was interviewing a while back Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen, who had written a book about buying your first house. And one thing they said about buying a house is you should always have your exit in mind. So I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about the same thing when it comes to neighborhoods. How important is it to keep in mind when you're approaching a neighborhood, this idea that at some point you might need to exit, how resaleable is this house going to be? How 
rentable will a house that you pick up in a new neighborhood be in five or 10 years when maybe you're looking to get out? It's more important than I ever thought. (laughs) I'll say that because I think in particular, the house we just moved from, we renovated it. We have been there since 2015. And it was the kind of house where we thought, man, you can bury me in the backyard. We are going to be here for a long, long, long time. Again, we had the community, we had friends there. And so what we were doing, like we were making decisions and we were doing extravagant, ridiculous stuff, but we were making you know, small decisions here and there without considering whether or not this would make sense for somebody else because we thought, oh, well, no, this is, this is our place. And so we're going to customize it. We're going to do things that allow us to maximize the amount of enjoyment that we're going to get out of this particular space. Those are the kind of things that I, don't, I, th- I think we would have made some different decisions. I think we would have made some different decisions knowing that we were going to end up selling. Again, I don't... We definitely enjoyed it in the interim, right? And so we, you have this period of time when you make some changes, you, you, you enjoy it. It's your home. But I am most certainly thinking about resale now more than I ever have. Because what I've learned is that, man, we thought we would never leave that house. And now here we are in a completely different place in a different small town. But what that's causing me to do is to think through things, some of the expenses, some of the projects, looking to the future with where we are now. I'm, I'm not, you know pedal to the metal as far as like, oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to renovate or let's go ahead and swap this out because I am thinking about resale. I am thinking about, you know, would this house actually be able to be able to rent? Well, this, the one we're in at this point, I don't think it would. I think that capital would be, would be best spent in, in, in other places, but that is something that I am considering more now than I used to for sure. As a real estate investor, Matt and I, we both, you know, have a own a few rental properties. I, I can't get it out of my mind. Like I can't turn that <laughs> side of my brain off. And so even in a primary home that I'm buying, I'm thinking, I'm 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 always thinking as I'm going into it about the potential resale value. Or but when I'm buying a home, I'm also thinking long-term buy and hold, whether it's uh, and, and hoping to transition. So the house that actually we just moved from, we turned it into a rental property and at adding to our small stable of of properties. And it's one of those things where yeah, making that again. We we thought we were going to be in that house a long time too. We, we had literally just done a bunch of work to it, which made the move, the decision to move, even even harder in some ways. Even though we still think it, it was it was the right move, it's best for our family. Yeah, the, I think it's it's crucial to think about to be thinking about that. We should all as as homeowners, even of a primary residence, we th- we should think of them a little more as an investment than we do. And yes, because yep. when you look at the return, when you look at like the statistics about the return on remodeling projects, a lot of them pay off somewhere in the 50 to 60% range, right? So if you drop $40,000 on a bathroom remodel, you might see $30,000 worth of benefit. So you're, you're, you're squandering maybe let's say $10,000. So we would say there's, it's, it's okay to do something like that. If it's something that is person fulfilling and you have the money on hand to, to do that renovation. But then there are other times where people think that they're going to put money into the house and they're calling it an investment because, of course, that's how we talk about homes in this country, even though that's not nearly as true as as we like to think it is. But so people will put money into their homes, calling it an investment, but ultimately they're losing out in the end. And and if you think about it like that, that's, that's, and you don't stay in the house long enough, you, you might have to come to the closing table with money because you're improving your home. You're in, in, a, in such a way where you're not going to see the financial benefit. We are talking to Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix, who are the dynamic duo behind the How To Money podcast. And we are talking about moving. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. 
It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Yo, everybody, this is Jordan Grummet, a.k.a. Doc G. Just wanted to let everyone know that tomorrow, as of August 9th, Taking Stock, my book, is now available on Audible. It was a blast recording this for Audible. I actually had a producer... It was so exciting and fun to record it, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. Also, Vicki Robin, who wrote the foreword for my book, agreed to read her foreword for the audiobook. So you get her audiobook reading of the foreword, you get me reading the manuscript itself. Check it out. The easiest way to order it is just go to earnandinvest.com slash audible. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash audible, and that will connect you to the Amazon link. I hope you get a chance to check it out and order it. Now back to the show. Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix are the duo behind the How To Money podcast, and they recently decided to move to a new neighborhood together. In a recent episode, they run through the thought process behind making the decision to uproot. Joel, let's get into some of the more lifestyle factors you found your neighborhood, you know where you want to move. Let's talk about square footage. Oh, the idea <laughs> usually, right, Joel, is, is you want to get a place that has the most square footage, especially someone like you. You got a bunch of kids. Why is that not necessarily always true? Yeah, I mean, we live in a culture where more equals better <laughs> is at least how the majority of, of folks think about it. And I think that's not true. I think that's not true at all. And so it, it's it, the, the more the more cars we own, the more square footage we possess is is the thing that's going to make me happy. And ultimately, that's that's not the case. And so we actually there were houses we looked at here where, where we're moving that had double the square footage that we had come from and double the square footage of the house that we actually ended up buying. But we we purposefully wanted to avoid that one. We didn't we're like, what are we going to do with all that space? We don't even know what to do with it. We wouldn't know how to live in it. It was overwhelming. But also there's more to heat and cool. There's more like it's it, it's just that's something that we don't prioritize that we don't care that much about. We were excited to have a little bit bigger of a yard, a little more accessible for the kids to play in. But when it came to the actual square footage of the house, we we did not want more. And so, yeah, I, there are times where, yeah, if you are expanding your family or you are like a tinkerer and you want some sort of like room for crafting and stuff like that, I think it's OK to prioritize those things. But just um, mindlessly believing the, the the fact that like more square footage is a better thing. Part of it, like, how is that square foot square footage appointed? How is it laid out? We've got some friends who built a house near, in the neighborhood where we came from. And I swear it's like something like 15, 1600 square feet. But the way they laid it out, it's like this is this feels so much bigger. And, and so sometimes it's the design that plays into that and makes a house usable. So don't don't just look at the square footage and be like, what what's my price per square foot? Mm -hmm. Am I getting as much as I possibly can? More the better question is like, it, is this location exactly where I want it to be? And does the house meet our needs? Stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's an author. Her name's Suzanka, and she's written the Not So Big House, and they they talk about some of the different strategies that you can employ in order to make the most out of minimal square footage. But Doc, sort of to what you were saying, the ability to have more space, not only do I think, like, like we think that that's just a good thing, but I would even argue that how is that going to change your behavior, right? 
So let's say you're used to 16, 1800 square foot square feet, and now you're looking at five, 4,800, 5,000 square feet. <clears throat> I think what you would find yourself doing is spending more time inside. And you're thinking before, you're like, okay, well, oh, yeah, it was a great neighborhood. I, I really like getting out and walking the dog and seeing my friends and, and doing that kind of thing. Well, now you live in this giant house and you've got a fenced in backyard, so you don't need to walk the dog anymore. So you've gotten lazier. And then secondly, you're like, well, I've got all this space inside my house now. And you don't find yourself perhaps doing the things outside that maybe you once did. And so I could also see that not only not just being not a good thing, but actually detracting from your life. Not only is it costing you more, but the way that it is impacting how it is that you are living, you know, day to day at the end of your life, you could potentially look back at that and, and, and say, man, that 1600 square foot house, that that was that was a really sweet house. And it's not necessarily that the square footage that you're drawn to that necessarily, but all of the other yeah. softer things that played a role in your life that you that just had a larger impact than you realized. Joel, Matt just walked into my next question, which was we've now thought about the storage, the square footage inside, but more important, maybe is what's going on in the world around you. Talk about community vibe. Like how important is that? And how do we get a feel for it if we're looking at a new neighborhood? So, yeah, that's a great question. It, it, community vibe to me is is like massively important. And so where we were moving from, that was the biggest thing. We're like, well, we, we, you know, one, we've got this established community of people that we love. But two, the, the houses were built really close together. And so you had to know your neighbors. You got to take your trash out or you walk out your front door and you're rude if you don't acknowledge your neighbor with a wave. But the 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 more spread out communities get, the easier it is to see your neighbor across the street and not have any sort of interaction because you're far enough away where you're like, yeah, I don't even really you, you start to like not know your neighbors very well. And or are there sidewalks in the neighborhood. If there are no sidewalks, that also means that there's going to be fewer people walking up and down the street interacting with each other. Maybe like if it's a really busy street, maybe fewer kids riding their bikes and stuff like that. So those are the kind of things like those are physical, tangible things you can point to. How how close are the, the houses to each other? Are there sidewalks? How busy is the street? Those are the kind of things that we're looking at and actively surveilling <laughs> to make sure that like the place we're moving is going to at least ha not inhibit some of that potential. How many, yeah, how many of the yards are like super, super duper fenced in with like these tall privacy wood fences? And and we want to kind of actively avoid some of that too, because I think of those, it's one thing to get together with your neighbors for dinner. That's going to happen every once in a while. But if you can just kind of formulate a lifestyle where you're constantly running into them, it just in the normal course of living life, to me, those spontaneous interactions are, are the things that are the best. And so like the house we just moved from was on this corner lot. And like we we just knew our neighbors so well because we were outside all the time and they're walking their dogs or doing whatever they're doing and they're always stopping by and having a short conversation. And those are the things to me that like make life awesome. <laughs> and so if you can find a house, if you can find a neighborhood and a community that has some of those elements and look specifically at those building sort of factors, right? The neighborhood layout and how that's going to, and kind of determine ahead of time, how's that going to impact the quality of life and the things that I enjoy when it comes to yeah, community living. It also helped that Joel was always like sunning himself. He was out there bronzing <laughs> right out in his front yard. And so folks would always just want to stop and just admire his physique. More like uh, burning myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I'll say doc too, one of the things we did before we bought our first home in our old neighborhood we knew that when we bought this house or bought a house that we wanted to get a dog. My wife in particular, she wanted a Great Dane. She had rightfully convinced me that the bigger the dog, the less exercise they need, which is true <laughs> to a certain, <laughs> a certain point because we weren't doing a whole lot of running back then. But we drove around and we're like, okay, how many folks are walking their dogs around after work? How many folks are on these evening walks where they're walking their dog? And we saw a ton of folks walking their dogs and we that allowed us to see that there was a dog park like two blocks away within the neighborhood and that we literally followed these people we saw folks going through this gate and we're like that's a dog park over there oh my gosh and that's when they called the police on Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but that that just allows you to see and get a feel for the different amenities that you can't that, that aren't necessarily listed out within a listing uh, on a home and so in the neighborhood we just purchased in we were looking for kids. We've got four kids. We're a big family. And man, I tell you what, when, when you see the kids running around in the 
you know, running from house to house, running across the street. Clearly, there's other parents who are kind of maybe free range parenting, perhaps a little bit. And that's kind of what we were looking for. And that was just a, a giant confirmation of like, OK, like this neighborhood is going to work. We'll see if the if the house ends up working out for us. But but we know that from an area, from a neighborhood standpoint, that this is something that's uh, that we were looking for. Joel, when Matt mentioned kids, I felt like we needed the dark foreboding music. Let's talk schools. I mean, yeah. How important are this is the school system? I feel like that's something people put a lot of stress on when they're looking at new neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on on how many. One of the things Matt and I talked about was like, well, if we only had one kid each, we would feel the schools would be less of an important factor. Mm-hmm. One, because we feel like we could take more of an active role in our kids' education ourselves. But but two, you know, maybe the financial burden of choosing a private school isn't isn't as extensive. But Matt's got four kids. I've got three kids. And so private school is one of those things where it's like, all right, we, <laughs> we're going to have to figure out a way to generate more income if that's going to be important to us. And so I, I think schools are important. But I think we also probably expect schools and teachers to do to raise our kids for us. And so you have to kind of lose that expectation and be more participatory in your in your kids in your kids education and and in their in some of the other ways right that they that they grow up i think maybe we've abdicated too much responsibility onto the schools but mm-hmm. but yeah schools were important for us and during the pandemic as we we all got maybe a little more of an insight into what was happening inside of those classrooms and so our, that was part, certainly a, a factor in in our move was like, okay, what are our kids learning? What do we, what do we want them to be learning? And and what kind of not not just like not just like a rating on a on a site, although those exist, but like what's the what's the methodology behind the education? And kind of digging more into like how those schools think about educating kids is is kind of something that we nerded out on quite a bit as as we thought through this. Yeah. Yeah. And even aside from, I mean, granted, we've got a bunch of kids, but for all, for folks out there listening who are kind of like, all right, I'm just kind of glazing over right now because I don't have kids, <laughs> not planning on it. Or maybe we maybe we'll have one kid in like five years. But bottom line, families buy homes, right? <laughs> and so even if you don't have kids, the ability to pay attention to school district, you know, school lines and OK, if you're one, one block over, this means you're in this school. How does that affect my, my, my property value? These are things that you are paying for, whether or not you realize it or not. That's how public school is funded. And so being aware of that will also have an impact, like you said, Doc, just on that future resale value, because folks are yeah. a lot of times going to be looking for that as well. Joel, before we move on to some more practical considerations, one other lifestyle issue I'm looking, we're talking here on Zoom recording this, and I think all three of us have a bike in the background. Talk about (laughs) bikeability and walkability, because I think sometimes people forget to look at this before they buy a place. Oh, my gosh. Yes. No, that was high up on our list because like Matt said, we used to live half a mile apart from each other. We recorded out of Matt's basement. And so my bike ride to work was pretty chill. <laughs> it was pretty easy. <laughs> and so, yeah, that the the sidewalks, like I said, was an important factor. That's walkability. That's something our family thinks about a lot. We're, we're going on, on evening walks quite frequently. But yeah, the bikeability walkability is huge. If that's important to you, and I think it should be more important to more folks because, yeah, can you bike to the grocery store? Can you bike to your kid's school? Can you bike to work? If it's, let's say, less than a four or five mile radius, that that oftentimes can become an easier decision. I think Google Maps just released an update to make it actually easier for people to figure out the best bike route, like so they're not going up some like just astronomically steep hill. And and so those are the kind of things where it's more available in certain places, right? And so where we came from in town, there was not necessarily this killer bike infrastructure, but everything that we did and went to was close enough to us to where we could bike. Yeah, even though the infrastructure was was lacking. But for a lot of folks, when you move to the suburbs, biking becomes eminently harder. And so we had to find a, a place where... And and there are other places around us that would have been much more difficult. It would have been much more difficult to become like a to stay a one car family. And so we specifically looked at that like, okay, how how can we be close to each other, close to work, close to some of the things that we enjoy? So I'm still going to be able to bike my kids to school like I used to, which is great. I'm so thrilled about and bike my little dude down to his daycare and then bike back into work. And and so all that stuff is still in super close proximity that it allows. But if 
if we had made slightly different choices in regards to specific location, I think that specific location is clutch, especially when you're talking about biking and walking. Matt, I want to move on to some just practical considerations. Let's talk about agents. Any advice for us on picking the right agent for you, especially if you're moving to a new neighborhood? Oh, man. Yeah. So yeah, it's important that you mentioned a new neighborhood because Joel and I both, we had a realtor in town, Atlanta, who we had used. I mean, I've used maybe three or four different realtors over the past decade, and all of them have been fantastic. Our most recent realtor has always been just tops. <laughs> I mean, she was killer, whether it came to investment properties or finding a, a home for us as for our family. But we did not consider using her to to buy this new house up here where we are now because she doesn't know this area nearly as well as she does the in-town neighborhoods. She definitely knows it. And we know she's currently looking for a home for a family who lived in our old neighborhood as well, actually. But the relationships being here on site is so important. And so the, the realtor we actually ended up going with is, well, it turned out he's an, I knew him from college as well. So that, that was handy, but he literally lives in the neighborhood that we were looking to purchase in. He's extremely familiar with just what's going on. And because of that, that meant that we were able to buy a home before it hit the market. And so at a time when competition is fierce for homes, the ability to man have the inside track because he has relationships and this is a part of his business is talking with folks, taking folks out to coffee, meeting up for beers, that kind of thing. He does this. He I mean he he goes he'll sit there and just talk to somebody randomly and just I don't know, that might end up being a client of mine down the road or I don't know, maybe in 5 years when the time comes, maybe they'll go with me to sell their home. And so he heavily invests in relationships and what that means is that the I think he said the majority of the deals that he does, those homes never hit the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for him in particular, that was it's just it's like a superpower that he's got and allows him to make his clients really happy. It allows the the families that he's working for to find homes that otherwise would not be available. And so yeah, real realtors finding somebody who's local who n- knows the area extremely well. I think that's I mean you certainly can go with a more standard realtor, somebody that you're more familiar with that might be that might be less familiar with the neighborhood, but I think if you're looking for if you're looking for the edge to, to man, I I think that's absolutely how you do it. Joel, another practical consideration. We talked about movers already a little bit, but just explain to me this concept. I had no idea there was such thing as a certified moving company. Tell oh, me a little yeah. bit about that and how do you find out if your mover is certified? Sure. Yeah. So when we were looking, it was it's actually hard to find this this what what what's known as pro movers. That's kind of the industry, the best highest industry standard that you can meet is is qualifying as a, a pro mover. And yeah, it's if you go to moving.org, that's how you're able to find a, a moving company that is has this pro mover status. And in a lot of instances, you can just take some Google reviews or whatever. But but in the moving company, there are there are a lot of <laughs> there, there's a lot of nefarious activity, and not to not to throw shade at most moving companies, which I'm sure do a, a fine job, even if they're not pro movers. But for me, when you're talking about moving all your stuff, things potentially being broken, especially if you're moving across state lines, the there are a lot of idiosyncrasies. There are a lot of things that can happen, right, from a moving company that are not above board. And so, yeah, when it comes to estimates that you're given, lots of times a moving company will give you a a non-binding estimate, and that's almost not worth the paper that's written on. So they're like, yeah, it's just it's going to yeah, we'll we'll charge you twenty five hundred bucks to move from California to New York, and you're like, that's a great deal for a forty foot moving truck all the way across the country. (laughs) But it turns out, then they say, wait a second, we didn't factor in for all these other costs. That was a non-binding estimate we gave you. It's actually going to be $8,000. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't factor factor that in. So you want a binding estimate from a certified pro mover. That's that's the best advice I can give, especially with one of these bigger moves. You know, Hiring people to do your little local U-Haul move is, is totally fine as well. But if you're going big and you're hiring a moving service, yeah, a, a pro mover status is, is huge. Matt, last bit of practical considerations. Tell us about purging. A- any suggestions <laughs> on the... Sell versus give away versus donate 
continuum and how we get rid of stuff. Yeah, no, I laughed at that because I wish that's something that we would have done more of. And so we (laughs) before you were moving. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Well, I mean, in our case, it's funny, right? Because our old house, we had this massive attic and we never had to like flex this muscle of determining what was going to stay or or what what we're going to get rid of. It, it, like we joked about how it turned into the room of requirement because anything we could possibly imagine we, we would find out. I would find stuff on the side of the road and be like, I don't even think I need this, but I want to one day we're, you know, I, I might actually use this thing. So all that being said, yeah, we ended up moving, unfortunately, a bunch of stuff that we are currently in the process, even now getting rid of. And so our garage is sort of this, it's like a triage for crap. Uh, so you might not want to listen to Matt's advice. <laughs> I mean, that, that, is, that is true. For us, it has been helpful in order to make progress to determine a dollar amount that we are certain that we could sell something for. Because like what we're trying to do here is is kind of find a balance between our time and what what, what time is worth, as well as the you know the, the money that something is worth. Because I like I also I'm a cheap guy. And that keeps me from maybe donating stuff when instead I should just be like, you know what, this, am I going to list something, take pictures of it, post it, interact with people online just to make five bucks off of this thing? No. I mean, maybe 10, 15 years ago, depending on your life stage, that is something that you would do. But where I am right now, that is not something I am interested in doing. And so for us, it's 20 bucks. That that that's kind of been my line. I'm I'm thinking, all right, if if I could sell something for for more than 20 bucks, I'm gonna go through with listing it. Otherwise, I'm gonna deter whether it's creating the stash and, and taking a trip and, and donating to, to Goodwill. We did that before we moved for sure and got it down to where we are now. But even still, we 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 needed to have done more. And so that yeah, that, that might be my biggest tip is to determine what a single item what you might be able to sell it for. And if it's any, anything less than that, list it for free. Give it away. Like, like put it out on the street, do a curb alert, see if somebody in the neighborhood might want to pick it up. Put it out there on trash day. Folks, oftentimes folks will drive around the neighborhoods on trash days. They're looking for those finds where they have then the ability and the time to fix something up, maybe give something another coat of paint. And all of a sudden, they're going to be able to sell something maybe for 60 bucks. And for them, it's, it's definitely worth the time. But if you are finding yourself maybe short on time. I think that's the the path to take. Joe, let's close out the conversation. Whenever I hear people talk about moving, the next thing that comes up is whether it's a hot real estate market or not. So I'm wondering how much should we allow what's happening in the real estate market today affect our decision to move, right? Because they're obviously sometimes when economically it makes sense and other times when it doesn't, but does the hotness of the real estate market, should that really be part of our decision tree? Yeah. I mean, I think I think depending on who you are, what situation you're in, it should impact it to a, a smaller or to a larger degree. But I think for a lot of people, yeah, it it, it should impact their their decision, right? Fortunately, the the longer your timeline is, the less impactful it should be. So if you plan on buying a home and staying in it for 10 plus years and you are financial of the financial means to be able to buy that house, then you should maybe consider a whole lot less whether you're overpaying by a little bit. Because Matt and I, when we made this move, we knew we knew because based on the timing that we were moving, in all likelihood, we were overpaying by a certain amount, right? Yep. Um, because, <laughs> because the housing market has been ridiculous and things are starting to cool off a little bit, which is which is helpful to people who want to buy. But we knew that we weren't getting the best deal um, based on based on our timing. But we also knew that Matt was selling his house and I was renting my house and the numbers worked out for us on on on, on those ends too. So when you're, when you're selling at the height and buying at the height, it's kind of a wash. But it, it, it is one of those things where, where you should be consi- considering specific market conditions. You, you should consider the interest rate. You should kind of consider what's happening with, with housing prices. But you should also know that like sometimes it, buying a house is such an emotional decision and you don't want to be over emotional, but you also don't want to be, you don't want to be purely cold and analytical, but you also want to realize, hey, guess what? Like we're planning on on starting a family and we want to put down roots and we don't really like the rental house where we are right now and we can afford it. I wouldn't over worry too much about the fact that you might be overpaying by a little bit if you know it's it's the right time for your family to be pursuing that course of action. So it's a really difficult thing to balance. Like 
Are homes overvalued by 50K where I'm at? The blow lessens if you're going to stay there for a long period of time. But it's it's one of those difficult things to weigh. And there's not like a one size fits all answer. Well, Joel and Matt, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. We're talking moving and moving can be one of the more stressful things we can do, but it also can positively add to your economic life as well as your quality of life in general. So giving us these tips has been incredibly helpful and I'm sure we'll be able to use them. I want to end the show the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. First and foremost, Matt, let's start with you. What is up next with How to Money? What is up next? Let's see. We are launching. We have launched a newsletter. This is a newsletter that goes out every Tuesday morning. It is chock full of awesome takeaways, stories, advice, folks that folks can put to use immediately. And so you can find that at howtomoney.com forward slash newsletter. And yeah, we hope to see you in your inbox shortly. And Joel, anything to add? Mm, no, the newsletter, man, it's hot. You should totally sign up. And, <laughs> and Matt and I are going to stay put for a while, hopefully not moving uh, <laughs> for the next decade. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Joel and Matt from How to Money. That's a wrap. Awesome. As you guys know, I keep things running just for a few minutes as we chat. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I think we all like forget sometimes to put in some of these thought processes, especially when we kind of get the emotion part. And so Mm. what I love about that conversation is you guys definitely make room for the emotion. Um, But then we also get to talk practical. And uh, yeah, the idea, right, is is to make our lives better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you're talking about better on on multiple scales, right? And and you can't always win at every scale every Mm -hmm. time. And so for us, like part of it was... But my mortgage is, is higher than it was at the last place, um, uh, partly just because of pricings, but also because of interest rates. Um, but there are all these other intangibles that we're gaining. And you know what? Renting out the last place <laughs> helped, helped uh, lessen the blow financially. Um, and, and, and at some point, we didn't talk about this a whole lot, but but what you want out of life changes as you get older. <laughs> and so uh, yeah. the things that we loved about where we lived, it's not that oh, we gosh. didn't still love them. It's just that we took advantage of them so much less than we used mm-hmm. to. And the things that we wanted for our family, for our kids, were just um, more achievable um, where we where we moved to. It was just, it was going to be a better quality of life as a family of five and a family of six. Yep. Than, you know, and so... They're tough decisions. They're not easy. You're weighing pros and cons and a whole slew of them. Um, but then you're trying to figure out the best best move that makes sense after like looking through that extensive list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in my mind, it's, it's it's just like things just change. Right. And yeah. so like in my mind, like I'm thinking about the move and I'm like, well, you know what? It's just different. And am I going to miss being able to go up to the Earl and buy a $2 PBR and watch a awesome show you <laughs> for da- five you, bucks. You're damn right you will. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to miss, miss that. We're going to miss it. <laughs> and that's something that's when we moved to that area at the time, I thought, man, yeah. the ability just to walk up or to ride the bike up to EAV, uh, East Atlanta Village there and see a show or go to a bar, that's, that was pretty high on the priority list. But yeah. now, now yeah, that we've got, changing, Kate and I, right? we've got four year, uh, four kids. I'm thinking... I still like doing that, you know, like that hasn't necessarily changed, but if it comes down to that and sort of the potential, the future for the, for the, you know, with the kids and some of the other things, it's like, well, those other things are just now more important. Uh, and even though we liked that, that was something that we said we liked and we did do it on occasion. We did it so much less than we did 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you, like, I mean, you change. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yep. 10 and years you, ago, it was like, no, that's really, really important to me. And now that's now it's all just, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. One thing we didn't talk about, but, you know, I was fascinated by listening to the podcast because the way you started this episode was saying that you had a family meeting. And normally when you think of a family meeting, you think, you know, mom, dad, kids. But in this case, it was two moms, two dads, plus or minus kids. (laughs) Was there ever a consideration of not moving together? Ooh, yeah. I think so. There was, but for the most part, the whole time we were like... We we didn't want to. We we didn't want that to happen. Yeah. But I mean, I, I specifically remember, I mean, over the course of months, Doc, uh, we were having these these conversations and 
at one point it, it was getting a little bit tougher because it's you know this is really tricky to do coordinating two families at the two same time. families and finding oh my gosh like yeah it's we're just like how are we actually going to pull this off and it was getting pretty stressful and but the whole time starting out at the beginning we had said we're gonna we want to do this that together. was the goal that yeah. was the goal yeah, yeah. but yeah. but at one point we finally said you know what we're not because if we had said at the beginning if mm-hmm. one of us had said in the beginning no nah, i'm not really we don't really want to do that that we we would have both stayed put um but yeah we both exactly. kind of were like no i think this is what's best for both of our families exactly and so we were in it together but there were there were times during the process <laughs> where i was like i don't know if it's going to happen or work out yeah it was yeah. it was yeah the, I, I don't want to say it was rough but like i think i, I specifically remember stating that like hey if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and we'll, we'll we'll figure out life. But we're not married, you know. Kate and I, we're not married to to Joel and uh, and, and Emily. Like obviously, y'all's relationship, your family, it's not that, legal in most states. So <laughs> that that most, comes first. Most states, yeah. Most states, exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that was something where I mean, man, for a while there, I don't know how many times we met, but we would meet, talk through how we're feeling about things, talk through about expectations, talk through what's changed, how we how we feel about the process. And it's it's something it's it's really unique, and so I appreciate you asking about that, Jordan, because it's now you know here afterwards. But it's not it's not something that I think most folks are dealing with. But I think it allowed yeah. us because of that conversation to really distill down what it is that we were looking for and what we were going after. And I think a lot of folks they don't go through that refining process, yeah. and and so for I think this maybe could be another takeaway for folks who aren't moving with another with a buddy or another couple or another family is the ability to surround yourself with some friends who share some life goals, I think could be really clarifying in your ability to make a decision, right? Because if you're thinking about doing something and you've got folks who you want to live life with and they're going after the same goals that you are, they might be like, well, really? Like that, that's that's what you want to do? Well, or what about this? Or what about this? They can push yeah. back a little bit uh, versus maybe some friends who are like, Man, we've been waiting for you to ask this question because you say that you value this, but you've been doing this for the past three years. Like, what's what's yeah. you know? We weren't going to stage an intervention or anything, but that could be <laughs> uh, enough of a oh wow okay. I was feeling a little bit nervous about it, but this sounds like life is good for them, and this is the right decision for them, and th- that's what I'm looking for, and that can just bolster your ability to make a confident decision. Yeah, yeah. most folks aren't crazy enough to try to move <laughs> two families at once yeah. or and 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 you know when you have when you have relationships that are as deep and important and meaningful to you as uh as familial relationships close familiar relationships yeah. like those are the kind of things that you should um uh leave with a lot of trepidation right yeah. you know, or you should you should think about making massive changes to that dynamic um, you should you should think about it really well because uh, yeah they, they're not a dime a dozen they're hard to come by and um, obviously Matt and I work together and stuff too so there's there's a, even more uh, involved but but that was something that was like our kids are best friends our wives are best friends like we do life together in so many ways like uh, it other friendships are are super important as well but doing this together um, made it harder in some ways but also easier in a lot of ways yeah. I know a number of people and I've talked a lot in the past about GR arbitrage, right? And people like, Oh, I'm going to go move to Europe. I'm going to go move to Mexico. It's great. And then they go do it. And they're like, but my family is nowhere around Mm -hmm. (laughs) or I miss my friends. And I'm amazed actually, because it sounds so blissful, right? This idea I can go somewhere else. It'll cost a lot less, maybe even a better quality of life, quote unquote. Um, But then they realize after six months or a year that it's a little bit lonely here. And those things that really had value for me, maybe more, than the ease of life or even the economics that I've specifically walked away from them. And it's it's quite a, a difficult thing to come to terms with, I think, for a lot of people to to abandon that kind of quote unquote dream um mm. to realize that there are things that are more important, A, than economics, and B than kind of like that dream vacation life look that we all get in our heads is what we want to do. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what I love about like what Ch- Chad Carson's doing. Like uh, you know, he he and his family just went to Spain for a year. But it's this limited time span, right? It's 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 a, it's got a specific link to it. They're very involved in their community where they live yeah. in South yeah. Carolina, and um, they're 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 going to be missed, but they're coming back. And There's so, an expiration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that yeah. that makes it maybe a little bit easier to bear, and people can come visit during that year or whatever. But you're like, cool, 
even if like nobody comes, it's a year and this will be a fun experience. And, and then, and then we're going back to kind of that normal life. And, and, and I know not everybody's built differently. Not everyone cares as deeply about community and stuff as, as Matt and I do. Um, other people have other, other people are more pro to adventure. They're like, let me travel for six months without a place to lay my head. And I'm going to go all around <laughs> Europe or wherever it is. And that's great. Like we're just, we live life differently than, than, the, than those folks. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's depending on who you are, a stage of life you're in, what, you value that matters but i've always been like when you watch one of those hgtv shows and it's like well where do you want to live and and people are picking these neighborhoods that are scattershot all across town 30 45 minutes away from each other like i'm always amazed that people are like they're just looking at the square footage they're just looking at the lot size like they're just looking at these these um tangible items that you see on a listing and they're so not factoring all these other things i'm just always shocked by that that there's so many people who don't think about those other things who don't don't think about all those intangibles a lot of which we discussed today The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.